0: Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to our show. Today, we discuss about SEO, how you can get results and rank your website on Google. And I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Trevor Stolberg. How are you? Hi.
0: Yeah, very good. Thanks, Anatoly. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. Before the episode, you told me that you have experience plus 20 years before Google. Can you share more about your background and why you decided to jump with SEO?
0: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, yeah, 20 years, uh, 20 years plus a long time, um, even predating Google by a year. So I was around uh, doing SEO even before Google was on the scene. you know, I just I kind of fell in love with it. I uh, I did uh, I produced a website for a company. Uh, I I got interested in HTML early on, and this was before you know most companies had websites. And you know, I was I produced this website. I was fairly pleased with it, and I was astonished to find that when you search for it in a search engine for the company name, they came sixth. And I'm like, why? This is the company. Like, why why do they come sixth? So. From there, you know, I just became fascinated by it and started to try and analyze it and figure out how it worked. And then, you know, natural progression is to become a freelance SEO from there. Once you have that interest and passion. Um, And from there, uh, you know, I was a freelance private consultant for a long time, worked with a couple of agencies and web design companies. And then um, uh, nearly three years ago now, I started my agency. So we're a small offshore team. Um, we do, uh, we do SEO for all kinds of different companies. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's about it. Um, yeah, just a a long, a long interest and passion and, you know, seeing the industry progress, I, you know, I say to people sort of part of our pitch is 50% of being a good SEO is just keeping up to speed with the industry. So it's a, it's a fascination and a passion for me.
1: Got it, yeah, interesting. Okay, uh, can you compare SEO 2000 and uh, 2021, what we have today? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's,
0: uh, it's an entirely different entity. I think um, SEO sort of reinvents itself every five years, and that may be even too, too broad a time range. So SEO back in the day was really just about making sure you've got the right uh, keywords inside the right tags, um, and it, it, for a time it was that simple. Um, you know, and pe- people may not even remember this, but search engines used to be terrible. I mean, you, it it was almost like a luck of the draw rather than actually finding something useful. Um, and that you know, then they progressed, and you know, Google with its PageRank algorithm, uh, when that came out, that was huge. That was a huge step forward in search technology at that point. Um, but it was very basic. It was very much just about the right semantic structure of code and. You know, search engines were dumb programs. They weren't even headless browsers at that pro- at that point, and, and, you know, they didn't understand context or relevance. It was just basically a, a keyword matching uh, effort. And then fast forward to today, 2021, um, very different ballgame. So the, the advancements in the last few years on natural language processing, uh, the knowledge graph and entity recognition, understanding what things are about, um is is really advanced it's very impressive and it's become a lot harder the, the job of an seo has become much much harder um now so you can uh one of the sort of examples i really like is if you uh search for 1974 and yoda it will mm-hmm. know you're talking about star wars you never mentioned it and it will give you results related because it understands your query very well so a uh, huge progression in the understanding query like the and the intent behind the query as well as just what set of results match that query. So it's it's become very advanced and it's much, much more of a dynamic thing. Um and you know a search engine is is now like a fully fledged browser. Um it renders your page, it interacts with your page. So it it's gone are the days of just putting the right keywords in the right tags. It's a much more complex thing now um I, I love the direction of the technology but it's it makes our jobs as SEOs much harder than it used to be
1: yeah um you know you remind me about my uh experience when i started my uh online shop um what i've done i just bought more links than my competitors have uh, and uh, uh if i remember i spent like 60 dollars to get a thousand links and uh, um, yeah I got results uh, good ranking positions and that was exciting time because uh, I spent a few dollars to promote any keywords uh, to to buy a lot of links but you know uh, when uh, Google uh, launched the filter penguin uh, that was the hardest time (laughs) ever you know yeah Yeah. Yeah, I, I lost a lot of sales I have um, I, I I couldn't sell anything you know yeah just paid marketing didn't help to um, um, to get the same results and I started to learn more about SEo I got it it's not simple as it sounds uh, and. Um, Uh, I remember that I had a team of copywriters. They uh, wrote about everything. They just take the content to rewrite, to submit a lot of keywords. Mm -hmm. I told them uh, 5%, 10% for this query, 20%, just submit all keywords. That was terrible. You know, yeah. Uh, I think today it doesn't work. Can you provide your insights uh, about modern SEO? Where to pay more attention? Uh, Because today we have uh, 1.8 billion websites online. uh, And all of them want to get but uh, Ahrefs, uh shares the study that 91% of websites can't get organic reach. Uh, what's the problem? How to overcome big competitors uh, in this overwhelmed
0: world? Yeah, good question. Uh, it's a broad one. So, um, yeah, that's absolutely right. Many, many, many websites get almost no traffic. And of course, everybody wants that number one spot in the traffic. So um, quite surprisingly, what I see commonly is um, People don't actually mention the keywords they're trying to rank for. They they think they do, but when you actually analyze a page, it's like, yeah, your title might say that. You don't mention the keyword anywhere on the page. I mean, that's actually incredibly common. Um, so there's there's sometimes there's a few low hanging fruit um, things that you can, you can find that way. Um, today, uh, it, it's a lot more about the usability. So I see basically a, um, a, a convergence of, SEO user experience and CRO conversion rate optimization as a combining to be one discipline that I just consider SEO as, as an entirety um, so you could have all of the right traditional SEO metrics you know the right number of links you could have great DA you know domain authority a lot of people get really hung up on having you know I need high DA links they're all from junk sites that are irrelevant, that don't mention the the thing that you're you're trying to rank for. They're of almost zero value, and in some cases, negative value. You can have all of the right SEO metrics. You can have um, ten thousand words on a page about a keyword, but if it's a junky, terrible page and your site's broken and it doesn't perform well, has terrible UX metrics, slightly Google's not going to rank it. Um, and I know there are people that. You know, debate that is one thing in SEO, and no, that nobody agrees on anything. <laughs> That's why it's mm-hmm. very important to do testing. Um, and you know, what what Google says and what Google does are two different things as well. So, um, sites that constantly break the rules and violate terms of service still rank, but they won't forever. Um, you know, I kind of pride ourselves on on never having a site um, been significantly adversely hit by an algorithm update, and we we're, we're super conservative. And, you know, we, we got overtaken in the early days when people were buying links and and before the Penguin algorithm. And I, I was just saying, you know, this this won't last. It won't be sustainable. But, you know, there was a good two-year period where we didn't get as much business as we would have done because of people doing those things. And then Penguin hit, all of the people doing that, as you well know <laughs> from your example. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, so we've always been super conservative. And I'd say one of the other things now as well is, is intent match. So, um, you know, the example I give is, if you have um, an e-commerce product page that you're trying to rank for a keyword and you look at the SERP. So there's two things, search intent and SERP intent, and they are different. So uh, there might be a commercial search intent uh, behind a keyword and that's what you want to rank your e-commerce page for. And those two things, you might think that your page meets the search intent quite well. But when you look at the SERP that Google's returning, the SERP intent Google considers it more informational and returns ten blog posts on how to do this thing that's your product's about. You're never going to rank an e-commerce product page again, even if it has all of the right traditional SEO metrics. So, um, you know, again, just the evolution of search technology and really understanding what a page and what a query is about is fascinating. Um, and, and again, gone are the days of just matching keywords on a page.
1: Yeah, valuable. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Okay, uh, let's talk about uh, crafting the strategy. Uh, for example, um, I often see when webmasters just open SEMrush or Ahrefs, uh, check out um, uh, common keywords uh, that are related to their niches and uh, chasing high volume keywords. They want to rank them. Uh, sometimes it's hard. It's the same if I want to promote SEO, uh, this keyword uh, to compete with new Patel uh most uh, many other uh, recognizable websites yeah i think um uh, i can do it with my resources and it takes time and sometimes uh, you can't overcome these websites for example most has uh, if i remember uh, correctly over 10000 links to these pages you know <laughs> yeah how i can overcome them can you provide your insights how to craft uh, your strategy uh, when you have big competitors uh popular websites brands that occupy the top 10 results where to start especially if you start from scratch
0: yeah very good question and i think this is an area where a lot of people get hung up on because um a lot of people do just see that high traffic keyword and be like that's what i got to go after and people make this mistake with google ads as well all the time i see people blow a ton of budget and get almost nothing back by just going after the top level keyword and the top level keyword is usually not the one you want to rank for anyway, as strange as that may seem. Um, you know, so people refine their searches commonly um, uh, and then there's um, more specific, more intent. So this is getting into what's called long tail keywords, um, which are, you know, lower search volume, lower competition also, therefore easier to rank for. So we do a few things in that. Um, the, the first two things we do with a new client is keyword research and competitive assessment. And those two things help us define the strategy. And the strategy can be, and and so there's no one size fits all as well. So we're a generalist SEO agency. We're not a niche specific agency. Um, And we also have like a a product based or sorry, a process based uh, framework, uh, sort of packaged SEO, but we tailor um, the, the package for each client based on the competitive assessment. And so what you'll be doing is comparing, we take the top four competitors and compare, um, a bunch of different um, SEO metrics. We look at things like the backlink profile. We normalize that to have an understanding of the quality of a backlink profile. And so you might be trying to rank against a competitor that has, let's just say 6,000 domains or referring domains linking to them. Um, but when you break down and analyze what are, what are those links? Where do they come from? What's their authority? Um, what category are they in? What keywords that are there on the page? What do those pages rank for? you'll find that there's really just a much smaller subset that that really moves the needle for that keyword. So basically decoding that and determining what you actually need. You might still need a hundred high quality backlinks to compete uh, seriously with that competitor. Um, So that's one of the things that comes out of the competitive assessment. And so you can have a strategy that's particularly link heavy, uh, where you're lacking in terms of links and it's it's fairly clear that it's really just links that are needed to, to move the needle it might be much more on the content side. So you might have a competitor that gets tons of traffic from many, many, many different keywords because they've got 100,000 pages and you might have five pages, right? So then it's fairly clear you can do things like a content uh, keyword gap analysis, a content audit and understand how the content works and what's being returned for. Um, It's not as simple as more pages, more keywords. You know, it used to be. About five or six years ago, it used to be spit out as many 500-word blog posts as you can and you'll rank for more things, which was true at the time. It's not untrue now, but it's much less the case. Um, And then also, you know, the competitive assessment and the SEO audit process will tell you are there major sort of technical hurdles. Like I just uh, did a um, SEO audit for one company. Uh, They had, I think, something like 30,000 pages and they just had a a really excessive crawl delay imposed by the CRM provider that they had. Um, so the CMS provider, um, and it would take, I think if we worked out, it was going to be 244 days for Google to crawl the entire site. So I even haven't even allowed Google to see all your content yet. So <laughs> there's, there's, there's a mix of different things and it is different for every site, but you have to you have to weigh everything up in context to the competitors and look at the things that really matter. So fair, fairly high level, vague answer there. Um, So there's a lot more detail and specifics to it when you look into each case. But every case is different.
1: Yeah, completely agree with that. Okay, uh, let's talk about um, some specific cases. Uh, For example, I have a client. And um, on his website, uh, he has uh, a lot of um, outdated pages. Uh, Over 1,000, if I remember correctly, it's like 1,300 pages, a lot and he has no resources to rewrite them uh, to update this information what to do Uh, because uh, I told him it's better to uh, remove (laughs) pages if we can't do it just remove them because if it hurts user experience and uh, yeah just uh, skip them Uh, especially if we have no traffic today yeah just uh, without traffic can you provide your insights what to do when we have websites with a lot of outdated information uh, And these pages uh, brought traffic, uh, but uh, today uh, you can't get it. And yeah, uh, and uh, especially uh, when we have limited resources. For example, I I like the strategy from Brian Dean uh, to pay attention with super quality content. For example, you can get uh, high traffic with 10 pages, uh, 20 pages. Why you need to have 1,000 pages if uh, you can't get traffic from that? Yeah, provide your insights about that.
0: Yeah. OK. Yeah. So that's touching on content audits. And this is a problem that many sites have. And uh, I'm a huge fan of Brian Dean, by the way. Yeah, I think his blog he has a few dozen pages, right? And it's one of the highest traffic websites around. Yeah. You don't necessarily need that. And what you see with high quality pages and websites is a page ranks for many hundreds, if not thousands, of keywords and keyword variations. Um, So in that particular case where you have, let's just say a thousand pages. um, So a content audit What a content audit does is it's going to look at things like uh, does that, do these pages have any links? Have they had any traffic in the last year Um, and what are their user experience metrics like? And if the pages have no links, they've had below a certain threshold and it could be, you know, even just 10 searches in a year. Um, and the user experience metrics are terrible, like 95% bounce or something like that. Um, That's a clear delete, right? That's not serving the website. It's not providing value. It's leaking internal page rank flow. Um, It's providing a negative quality signal. And so there's this concept and this hasn't, to the best of my knowledge, this hasn't actually been validated by any sort of use cases. Although I have seen a couple of edge cases, which I do think speak to this, but there's this generalized theory of a site-wide quality score. Um, And I don't think Google has a site-wide quality value for every site, so don't don't get me wrong there, but there's this theory of a sort of a site-wide quality uh, score. And when you have a large percentage of pages being these just low traffic, no links, poor user experience metrics, um, those are weighing your site down. And there are quite a few case studies of where you go through this process of removing uh, those pages and seeing a fairly significant traffic increase. And it doesn't work in all cases, and there, there's several things like the, the click behavior, the types of links to a site, and and just how those pages perform that speak to this site-wide quality uh, indication. And I have seen a few examples where you can see a response due to that. Um, and we've done this also. You know, we've done content audits for clients and removed content. And then then there are those ones that you know do have a few links, um, but don't have much traffic um, and have poor usability. Those are ones that are likely candidates to redirect, 301 redirect, so permanent redirect that search engines will follow to a, a new page, redirect those pages to a section or another uh, part of the site that's more relevant or as relevant to those pages. So those pages are still providing a negative site-wide effect, but they actually have some value in terms of the links. And then there are those pages that um, have links and have some traffic, but have poor quality user experience, still poor bad UX metrics. So that is suggestive of rewriting that content. There's another aspect to this as well. Oh, so there's also the category of good pages, right? Good links, good traffic and good user experience pages. Don't touch those, whatever you do, don't touch those pages. But um, yeah, then, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Um, Totally gone where I was going, it'll come back to me. (laughs) Yeah, but I got your
1: insights about that. Yeah. uh, Thanks. Uh, And, you know, uh, today we are trying to uh, fix uh, 50 pages from this uh, thousand pages. I check out them on Google Search Console, I found pages that have some uh, impressions, views, and yeah, if we can save 50 pages. Why we need to save thousand pages, yeah, especially if we have limited resources to create a lot of mediocre content. I'm not sure it's the case. Okay, let's talk about uh, copywriting. Um, uh, for example, uh, I remember when I, I had a team of copywriters that I mentioned before, uh, and uh, today I I I don't have this team, (laughs) I have editors, you know, who can uh, edit uh, contacts. And it's interesting that um, um, I even uh, hire editors if they don't understand the topic, because if uh, they don't understand, nobody will understand the topic. And uh, and editors can simplify user experience and um, to edit text, uh, for example, from experts. I remember the project that uh, wrote about some special equipment. I didn't know anything about this equipment when I wrote, uh, when I read text from about this equipment, I got nothing. What was that? I don't know how I can promote it if I don't understand anything from that. And uh, editors uh, uh, save this text. uh, uh, And yeah, uh, to cooperate uh, for a long time with experts who who wrote this text. Can you provide your insights? How to find these copywriters, uh, especially when webmasters have no time Uh, to uh, write text Uh, they want to develop their products to uh, pay attention with competitors to uh, yeah to pay attention to customers you know to retain them uh, but have no experience with writing text for uh, for website
0: yeah so so content is one of the more variable aspects of um, seo Um, and you know, it's really difficult to have a big enough network of niche specific um, writers or editors um, that are knowledgeable on topic. And it definitely matters, right? You, you, you have to have somebody that understands the subject matter. Um, so can you lean on the subject matter experts at the company you're working with, and then have like a, an SEO person edit the content, we do that a lot. Um, we have a network of writers that we can tap, I use Contentfly um we've tried a few other um solutions as well um we do do a pass through of all articles we use semrush's um seo content writing assistant system in google docs it's, it's a fantastic tool um we actually use that for creating briefs as well so we use semrush for creating the briefs and then we use their editor to edit the document so there's one, once you have the general flow and outline of a document produced by either either a subject matter expert or, or a writer that's knowledgeable in the area, um, then you can take an SEO pass at it. And there's, a, there's been this um, historical back and forth. Do you write for search engines? Or do you write for human users, right? And always write for human users. There's definitely such a thing as over SEOing an article. Um, you know, One of the bigger things that I see missed that's really useful is the potential for internal links within a, within a, um, an article, you know, often see, um, it's about your product or services, right? So there's usually a lot of crossovers between other areas and products. Um, so take Wikipedia, for example, they heavily interlink, um, and it's very valuable. Um, but yeah, so, so, um, Content is difficult to manage. We have we have clients that don't want to know, right? They just want us to produce the content because they believe that it's worthwhile. And we have some some great case studies of where a content-heavy strategy has has really worked well. Um, but yeah, it's it is a challenging thing. Um, it, it's one of those areas. It's it's highly variable. You can have people that pr- don't produce very good content. I actually had one just recently. Like it, it was actually. <laughs> the the sections of the article were great. It it met the sort of request of our brief, but the flow of it was just terrible. Like it didn't really didn't really read and flow well. You know, so um, there's a few other things as well, like white space, scannability for bolded text, semantic structure of the document. One technique that we like to use a lot, this is another Brian Dean recommendation is the OBI um, objective benefit and introduction, right? So very concisely, quickly at the beginning of the article, right? Um, Here's here's what the outcome will be, here's the benefit to you and a brief introduction. You know, a lot of copywriters say the job of the first line of of an article is to get you to read the second line, right? Because the more you scan and get engaged with it, the more you're likely to, to, to meet it. And you know, another thing that we see as well, um, and it's, it's kind of like a hot topic in the industry is just content length. What's the optimum content length? And, you know, we have, we have a general target that's benchmarked against the sort of content that we're trying to rank against, but we're not really strict on that. Um, if, it, if it doesn't fit, if if you can't write a thousand words on something, don't. I mean, I've just launched a new site, seojargon.com, and that each each posts about 250, 270 words, because that's that's all that's needed to describe each post and what it's about. It's just about all the the different acronyms and jargon and SEO. It doesn't make sense to just write reams and reams on a topic and fluff, right? It doesn't make sense because search engines understand very well how people react and, and interact with these articles. And then getting back to that whole SERP and search intent match as well. Um, there's a few other things as well, like specific ways that you can structure content um, to to rank well for passage indexing and feature snippets and, and um, additional rich SERP features. And that's actually something that you should do within keyword research as well is understand what are the um, additional SERP features on the keywords you're trying to produce, and you can tailor the content that you're producing to meet those needs. So. Very, um, very broad topic again. Um, lots to it. Um, but that's that's my general thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, yeah, valuable. Okay, um, uh, let's talk about uh, user experience. Uh, can you tell uh, how it's important today? to optimize with user experience uh, if uh, i think that um, uh, google uh, uh provided a bunch of algorithms uh, to pay more attention with ux uh, if i remember it that was in 2019 and uh, uh and today it's not only about mobile version it's more about your content uh, how people pay attention with your content. And it's interesting that uh, most uh, webmasters check out uh, Google Analytics. uh, The metrics bounce rate. But, you know, if you have high bounce rate, it doesn't mean uh, content is is not good. users might find everything <laughs> you know they take your phone or, i don't know or just uh, read uh, the uh, necessary information and leave it uh, google analyzes um, uh, other parameters uh, like dwell time when users come back to search system uh, can you tell your insights how to analyze uh, that something is wrong with user experience and where to pay more attention
0: yeah absolutely so yeah and as i said you know i i see user experience becoming converging to one discipline that is just seo or i think we should just call it website optimization now not just seo it's it's just website optimization um so there's, there's a lot to that um so one of the very useful things you can do is install a tool like microsoft clarity um hotjar is one of the more commercial offerings. But if you set up Bing Web Bing Webmaster Tools, which you should always do by the way, um, if you just have Google Search Console set up, also go and set up Bing Webmaster Tools. And then that will give you an opportunity to um, create a Microsoft Clarity um, code segment for your site that you can plug in the head and JavaScript code. Um, and, and a lot of um, CMSs allow you to sort of automatically integrate that. then you can actually track the user session you get heat map tracking of where people go how they interact and you actually can record and play back a real browser session um you can look at things like technology breakdown so does do you have particularly poor metrics on let's say a samsung phone using android on a certain screen size um that's one of the ways to um to look at ux is do you have a particular technology issue um, and, and most people don't test their sites on all devices. Um, and there's some tools you can use to basically give you an automated view of um, all of the different technology devices and screen sizes and see if or where you have a problem. So if, you, if in analytics, you like drill down by the technology, you, you can see that. Um, so if you have a particular technology problem, like for example, you can have a, uh, you can have a sign up button that just doesn't display on a certain device or you can have um, a format that's just broken on some screen resolutions and, um, you know, um, those kind of things can help you understand that. So you should fix those if those exist. Um, But then, when we get back to this more sort of like search engine performance, and I I just had an interesting debate on LinkedIn with Mark Williams Cook of Canda this morning, as someone I uh, respect very highly. Um, And, and, you know, so there's been this very long historical uh, debate about click through rate. Does click through rate affect um, search engines, uh, search engine results? And, you know, this is one of those things where there's a, a direct ranking factor and an indirect ranking factor so google has something uh called the RankBrain algorithm which is an artificial intelligence um, algorithm that looks at how people interact with search results and if you um let's say position six gets clicked on before position five more commonly google's going to notice that and start to think okay well we'll artificially push them up a little bit like outside of the normal um, ranking algorithm um, and this is known and documented some of the specific metrics and effects are debated. Um, so I think it was in 2016 um, we observed that there was a particular effect of the click patterns in the search results. And we did a closed test, a few SEOs we that we frequently do closed tests um, where we coordinate testing and, and look at the effects. And you have to test because it changes so frequently. And this is way before Google said anything like this would, be, would happen. Um, so my belief and understanding from what I've observed is that things like um, and it, and I won't be so specific as just to say, yes, CTR for sure is 100% definitely a ranking factor because it might not be the, the, the click through rate. That's the, the thing, but it's the observed behavior, the interaction between the user, the SERP and the web page that they go to. Um, so those things that are driven by user experience affect where you're going to rank. Um, I don't really think that that's debatable. I think some of the things that the nuances around which specific metric and how is it tracked, you know, does it matter if I have Google Analytics or not? Does it matter if I have Google Ads or not? Does that affect my position? You know, some people get really hung up on that. Um, and then, so then there's this um the way that Google looks at and renders a page. And so, one thing you should do is go into Google Search Console, inspect your page, and actually look at what Google renders um, because Sometimes, and fairly often actually, a page can be completely broken in Google's rendering, Um, but to a normal user, it looks okay. And you'll probably see, if you manage a few websites, you frequently get these error messages from Google saying uh, clickable text too close and um, doesn't fit well on a mobile uh, device, not enough white space, text too small to read, those kind of things. Um, And they haven't been there before. Very often those things, Um, When you just validate them, they refix um, because the the second time the page is loaded, it actually renders fine. Um, But anyway, that's a really good um, tip is to go in and check, inspect the page and see what Google actually renders. Um, Another very interesting thing. uh, This one caught me by surprise. I think it was was maybe a couple of years ago now. um, Moz did a study um, where they changed 50% of the H1 tags to H2 tags. And the conventional wisdom and my belief at the time was um, that would for sure have an effect on ranking because the H1 tag is more important, um, but it actually had no effect. Um, and the, the rendered page, page didn't change, just the code, uh, the So the semantic structure of the document was technically flawed or, or not, not optimum, which is something as SEOs we would strive to produce, but the rendered page and therefore the user experience was still just the same. So the user still got the same page. So... It could have potentially been a paragraph tag, right? Um, just styled to look like a heading in the right place on the page, and in theory, Google would still have seen that as um, as exactly the same. So that was really interesting, and that was a bit of an insight into how Google um, evaluates user experience. And I'm talking a lot on this answer. I'll just touch on one more <laughs> one more section here. So yeah, you mentioned that. I think it was like 2019 when Google announced their um, page experience metrics. Um, and so that there's a, there's a subset of that core web vitals, but there's a whole other area of um, page experience metrics. Google is telling us, hey, we care about this. And it's even telling us what specific things it cares about. And they're now confirmed to be in the ranking algorithm. So it's, as I say, converging disciplines of SEO, CRO and UX, um, it's become very important. So you can't just throw up a web page and expect it to rank anymore
1: yeah got at it valuable you know you don't talk a lot you share a lot of insights <laughs> and you know um, about ctr i can tell uh you might believe or not uh, uh, it helps with ranking but you know the uh, the main goal is to get traffic if right. uh, you can Increase your traffic by improving CTR. Why not just do this it?
0: Is, this is what I say to people. I'm like, if it moves the needle, do you really care whether it was direct or indirect? Your goal is yeah. to move. So, uh, but yeah, people get really hung up on those things.
1: But by the way, I, I remember when um, I got uh, a client uh, that was uh, weight loss supplements, and uh, uh, and he told me, if you can provide results for a month, uh, I can share a big contract. But, you know, uh, it's, it's hard, you know, for a month to provide results. It takes time. SEO is a long game. But mm-hmm. I found on his project that uh, all titles were written for the sake of having them. Uh, luckily, he had traffic uh, like... Uh, uh, 100 hundred thousand people a month not bad you know especially uh, considering that uh, this niche is overwhelmed with a uh, billion dollar companies big companies but you know uh when we wrote uh rewrote these titles we didn't increase ranking positions but we increased traffic you know yeah and um, uh, yeah we increased traffic uh, for some pages uh, two three times well, yeah, and there's, there's your
0: example of why you should care about click through rate, right? It might not increase your, your ranking, but more people thought, yeah, that's relevant to me. So I'm going to click on it. And that, that will have an indirect, ultimately an indirect effect of ranking higher. And when you introduce more keywords in a title um, slug, um, you, you stand more chance of ranking for keyword variations also. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, you might see no effect immediately doesn't mean it's not beneficial.
1: Yeah, and um, um, uh, my team even created a tool uh, that uh... Uh, and we consider some studies from MoS, HubSpot, uh, about CTR. Uh, and uh, if you uh, add, add any title, uh, tool will tell you what you can do, how you can improve it. Very simple to use. And uh, sometimes when we uh, write, uh, when, when we need to write a lot of titles for uh, big websites, why not? You, you can use this tool because it checks out uh, the whole website and provide insights where you have problems. And yeah, it helps to improve CTR. Uh, uh okay let's talk about the parameter it expertise authority trust can you provide your uh, insights how to optimize with this parameter how to improve uh it for your website?
0: yeah okay yeah I, I love this topic and um anyone interested in in eat should check out marie haynes um she's kind of the master in this area um yeah it's a very interesting concept and this this just shows you the trajectory of search technology um so eat expertise authoritativeness and trustworthiness there are still and this is common in seo there are some people that say oh eat is not real (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. no such thing or you know um sure but there's no eat ranking factor and again this comes back to that direct or indirect thing so um google has outright said there is no eat ranking factor and there's no eat metric which i believe um, what they do have is their quality raters guidelines which actually heavily reference EAT and they give examples of how to score and rank a site based on these EAT criterion and they test their algorithms against these real 25,000 roughly army of um, quality raters that rate the results of, of small algorithm perturbations. Um, And Google uses that feedback in a machine learning algorithm to determine what was the most effective changes they could make to their algorithm. So it's an indirect effect of these real people, quality raters, taking advice on how to rank websites based on EAT criteria. So ultimately, EAT criteria filters into the ranking algorithm. So it's, it's very, very far from a direct effect, but the things that make uh, an EAT strong, a strong EAT website are things that will ultimately cause that website to rank better. So there's a lot to that topic. So um, making sure that you have all of your author profile filled out, you have good structured data, you're citing um, relevant articles, you're linking to studies, you're cited by experts you have experts commenting on it um those kind of things and then any any accolades anything that basically gives you authority and like for an example me coming on this podcast is something that adds to my general collective of eat right it's one thing that presents me as more of an authority on this subject and you can judge for yourself whether that's valid or not but uh that's one of the things that emphasizes eat um and and so usually large companies are sort of sitting on a gold mine of eat from all of their people and they usually don't have it very well linked and laid out um one thing i don't like about the eat is um there's this sort of concept of scientific consensus and um you know i have a scientific background and you know it's to the, they implemented this to stop someone saying hey our carrots cure cancer right and being able to rank for that because clearly they don't and scientific consensus is carrots don't uh, cure cancer right but what if somebody does develop a carrot genetically modified carrot that can cure cancer should they not be able to rank for that because they don't have the right EAT metrics so and then so e- EAT as well is, uh, and again, this is why I made this website SEOjargon.com because there's so many acronyms in, um, in SEO. So another one that's associated with EAT is YMYL, which is your money or your life. And EAT is particularly strong and pertains to those searches that do affect your money, your life, your health, or your well-being. So medical, finance, insurance, anything like those those sites have a particular bar to meet that maybe other types of queries don't. And we're seeing EAT become more of a progressive thing in in SEO in general. So um, it's important we're advising people um, who have niches outside of that general YMYL to focus on EAT less strongly than we would be if they were in a YMYL category. Um, But it's it's definitely very important. It's the trajectory of search um, and one of the things that helps you understand where you are on that spectrum is the knowledge graph. So it, that's the sort of panel that you see on the right-hand side that gives you like lots of links, references, and categories associated. And this is another area where you'll see how well Google's able to understand the search query because you can search for something. I, I have a, a client in um, in the mental health space um, that's clearly EAT and YMYL, Um And the knowledge uh, graph that's returned for many of their queries doesn't include the keyword at all that you're searching for but it does return this knowledge graph because google understands that it's all related um so yeah it's a huge topic it's one of the newer areas of seo it's one of the newer developments and it gives you an idea on the, the search trajectory that that google's on it's fascinating stuff
1: yeah i got it um and uh, i think uh, uh, i usually start from the page about uh, company about us and yeah uh, i often check out when uh, and see generic stuff with stock pictures <laughs> guys don't do it uh, be honest uh pro- share your photos why not you know if you open my website you can <laughs> find a lot of my photos because yeah uh, it uh, improves trust you know yeah, very exactly. simple technique
0: yes people, Just... people interact with people Um, Yeah, yeah. And and, you know, um, you touched on it there, like Google, this is another thing that many people get hung up on. Um, So Google commented that, um, you know, all things being equal, website that had stock images versus a website that had, you know, unique images, the unique images would probably rank slightly better. And that's just one of those very, very minor indirect things that you can do. And the nature of SEO is just chipping away at every little thing happens. So that every little thing that improves things. So.
1: You, I think uh, why uh, websites with um, real photos or pictures, uh, unique pictures, provide better experience even if quality is less than uh, stock pictures. Because people uh they don't trust stock pictures you know they uh you yeah, yeah if if i open the website and see the stock pictures i i can't feel uh the connection with this website i feel that uh, uh yeah the content is not uh, transparency you know something like yeah this. And some
0: some of these some of these stock images are so obviously not really about the company that you're dealing with and it just looks fake right if people don't get that personal mm-hmm. effect and that you know that, that in itself gives you an insight into how search SEO has changed, because ten years ago we wouldn't be talking about does an image on a page have a different user experience and does the user feel like they're engaging with the page more or differently because of an image an image's stock photo or not. I and mean, that just tells you the, the um, direction of the technology. Yeah.
1: And, you know, I, I left the last question, the hardest question for any SEO specialist. Link building. (laughs) Can you provide your insights? How to to earn links, to create links, to buy links, or anything else? Because we have many different methods, and uh, some black hat uh, SEO specialists can proclaim uh, PBN works. Uh, White hat SEO can tell no, it doesn't work, or uh, my might be work. We don't know exactly. Can you provide your insights or your way to create links?
0: Yeah. So uh, link building, every SEO's favorite topic. Um, it is one of the most influential factors in SEO still today. It is reducing, um, but links are still very, very important. Link building is the toughest part of SEO. It's my least favorite part of SEO. And there is an irony and it's it sounds somewhat like a get out clause and it's a little cliche. But the way to get good links is to have great content, right? Or easy to say, hard to do. Um, so there's many different ways to get links. Um, you know the, there's, there's some simple low-hanging fruit ones, and we actually, we actually tier these in an SEO strategy when we analyze the different types of backlinks that are needed. We, we tier priority one, two, and three links and the techniques used in each uh, category to, to obtain those links. So um, I'll just say a few of the sort of like useful ones. So there's um, such a thing as broken link building, uh, where you can just find any links that did exist on a website that um, are now broken that are relevant to your niche. Um, you can approach the website owners and say, hey, we have a, we have an article that we think would fit very well, and this is broken link, please link to us. Um, you can use Quora. Um, so one thing we do, I got this tip from Steve Toff, his SEO notebook um, is a great tip. Um, you can look on any uh, SEO tool like SEMrush, SEMrush. Um, and search all of the URLs that rank, or all of the keywords that Quora.com ranks for, um, and then filter that by a minimum level of traffic. So like hundred visits a month or more, has contains the keyword that you care about and ranks in the top 20 positions. You get a list of uh, Quora answers. Um, And this is what, this is threefold benefit this one. Um, You can provide, you've got to take the time to write a good answer. It's got to get outvoted to be the best answer. So it needs to be good content. Um, so you get that, you get seen by the people, you can put a link on there um, to a relevant article. And this doesn't mean go and spam core with links. We advise like a ratio of like uh, one in every five posts should maybe have relevant links. And it also positions you as an authority. So it has an EAT benefit to it as well. Um, <clears throat> there's several other techniques, um, producing blog content. People do guest posting. I am really not a fan of guest posting and getting links just from these blog Posts, um it's a scourge of the industry <clears throat> they largely don't work but in some cases they still do work pbns sure they work but they get shut down um, we don't do anything that's going to cause you to get um, lose your traffic overnight um, there's a website called harrow helper report out uh, it's a very useful resource you get uh, lots of emails um, morning afternoon and evening um you can find uh, reporters that are looking for content on a particular topic and you can pitch them um, a useful answer and get a link back. Um, Things like going on podcasts like this, um, that's useful because you usually get a link from the host and it adds to your general backlinking, also positions you as an authority. Um, Then, you know, there's also, um, you know, a lot of people get hung up on nofollow links. So a lot of of links that are easier to obtain have the no nofollow parameter applied to them. And a nofollow link is not of zero value. uh, and actually, and we we discovered this um, way back before Google announced this, but they actually don't treat nofollow as a directive anymore. They treat it as a hint. And, you know, Google delineates two specific things as either a hint or a directive. So if there's a particularly good authoritative quality site that Google likes and you have a nofollow link on that site, it may actually have some benefit. I have some data that shows that as well. We had a client that lost 18,000 no follow back links from one domain and it had a fairly reasonable effect on their, their ranking. Um, and then there's the, the traditional sort of like outreach find people um, that have websites that are ranking for related terms, um, a whole other bunch of techniques, um, you know, finding. Oh, and one other thing I wanted to mention about as well is internal linking which I think is just the biggest, most underestimated, underutilized SEO technique there is because you have full control on your website, what you rank for um, and what keywords you can place and what links you can place. So using your own website as essentially like a link building platform to other pages on your website, you use Wikipedia as the example. Um, Wikipedia is like the blueprint for internal linking. If there's a relevant section on your website, link to it um and that doesn't mean every other word should be a link but you know you should maybe have at least three to five internal links on on your web page huge huge topic um so much so much to it in the early days you know people just started uh, spamming blog comments and and that's now why we have things that was the original intent of the no follow attribute was to basically stop some of that and then google relatively recently introduced the ugc user generated content and sponsored so buying links is something that Google says, absolutely don't do. We still see it being rewarded. Um, so absolutely can be beneficial, um, but be aware if you're buying a link and it's not marked up as real sponsored, you stand a reasonably high chance of that coming back to bite you at some point. And then there's a, a really interesting link building technique that I haven't tried personally yet. Hrefs did a study on this using paid ads as a technique to get traffic to a page that then obtains links which is really fascinating and they did a study and it actually worked well it was quite cost effective it has to be on certain like informational type queries where people are looking for a reference in their article um, but that's just a really sort of outside the box thinking link building technique um, so many many different ways it, it, it is one of the the more difficult um things i think um uh the search intelligence ferry from that company and uh, rise at seven do, um, a, a lot of this, uh, digital PR where they basically create buzz on a topic and reach out to journalists and get tons of high authority links. Um, that's also a really good technique. We don't really do that. Um, many, many different techniques. It's, it's a difficult area. Um, it's my least favorite area of SEO.
1: Yeah. Got it. And you know, I think that, um, uh... Uh, link builders uh, get success if they pay attention with uh, one specific technique. For example, if you like Haro, do it, <laughs> you know, just reply to all these requests. If you use Gasposim, why not? You can use this approach as well, uh, reach out to bloggers and ask about writing articles. But. Pay attention with one specific technique. Uh, it's better to be the best in one technique than uh, Jack of all trades, you know, <laughs> and try to cover all, all possible techniques. Um, but you can test them, analyze, and uh, choose one that will work for you. Uh, and yeah, uh, I love I think you you share all, all possible te- techniques that I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Okay. Um, Tell the audience how they can find you, learn more about you, follow you.
0: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so um, main uh, main agency website domain is Stolber.com. Um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, and also just produce this website SEOjargon.com. And we have a Facebook group, SEOjargon, uh, where we're introducing content daily. Um, also starting a YouTube channel as well. Um, same, same name, Trevor Stolber. Um, and T. Stolber is sort of my online handle um you probably will find me on any uh, seo related uh, thread somewhere along the way so um yeah um yeah look me up thank you
1: yeah, thanks for a lot for your time for all your insights. You shared a lot of, you know. Uh, I'm going to use uh, the tip about Quora. Uh, I never thought about that. Yeah, it's
0: pretty. It's a pretty good one. We've got it built into a <laughs> process. Um, yeah. Hit me up afterwards, and I can send you a process. Um, we it's one of our standard processes we use. Awesome.
1: Yeah, great. If you can do it, just you know. I remember when uh, I had a client. He uh, rewrote articles from Reddit. Uh, he found some. Topics with traffic uh, rewrote, uh, create, uh, created much better content than existing. And he uh, could rank this content in the top 10 results. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And you remind me uh, with Quora, why not? Yeah, interesting method. Okay, thanks a lot, Trevor. Yeah, Yeah, it's a big pleasure to get your own show, to learn more about you. Okay, guys, you can uh, listen to us on uh, Google, Apple, Spotify. You can find all mentioned links uh, to Trevor uh, in the description below. And uh, thanks for listening and watching us.